Welcome to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, where we talk about issues facing our Big Island community. Island Conversations, Sunday mornings on KWXX at 6.30 and on B97B93 at 7 a.m. Or listen anytime at kwxx.com. Island Conversations, brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916. Now, here's your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Aloha and welcome to Island Conversations. To remind you, we're here on Sundays on the Big Island of Hawaii on the radio at 6.30 a.m. on KWXX and at 7 a.m. on B93B97. And the interviews are rebroadcast the following Friday on KPUA 6.70 a.m. in Hilo. And you may always hear Island Conversations as a podcaster online at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. On October 13th, 2019, we aired a conversation about little fire ants, a really awful invasive pest here on the Big Island, with Cass Vanderwood of the Hawaii Ant Lab and Franny Brewer of the Big Island Invasive Species Committee. Now, you may hear that interview, and I strongly recommend it, at kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Franny is with us again because although much of the focus these days is on little fire ants, We have other invasive species, both animals and plants, that we need to know about, and Franny's going to tell us about them. Good morning. Aloha, Franny. Good morning, Sherry. Thanks for having me. You know, Franny, you are very enthusiastic about invasive species, and I'm just curious why. I'm enthusiastic about controlling invasive species. (laughs) Um, I actually graduated from UH Hilo. My undergraduate degree is in biology, and so I learned a lot about the threats to our endangered and threatened species and our native ecosystems here, which are so unique um, amongst ecosystems in the world. Hawaii has some of the most amazing diversity. And once I had that understanding of how much was at threat due to invasive species, it just sort of felt something that I should be passionate about. Well, I'm actually really glad you are. Why don't you explain to us what is actually considered an invasive species? So there's a federal definition. In the 90s, then President Bill Clinton signed an executive order which declared that an invasive species is a species that's introduced to an area, so it's not something that's native, and it has to cause harm in at least one of three areas, the economy, the environment, or human health. And in the early 2000s, Hawaii adopted that definition with the addition of way of life to reflect the unique cultural and lifestyle aspects of being in Hawaii. What is the role of the Big Island Invasive Species Committee? We are part of the University of Hawaii, and we are a grant-funded program. So we try to get funding to go after different invasive species. We have several different programs. We have a botany program that looks for plants that have been introduced to the island that are likely to become invasive. So we have botanists who basically scour the island. In five years, we found 150 new plant species that had not been described in Hawaii before. So it's kind of a scary number. And we have a tool called the Hawaii Pacific Weed Risk Assessment, which people can actually access online on plantpono.org. This tool is 
sort of a background check for plants. So it's a way of determining if a plant is likely to become invasive and whether we should try and get rid of it very early. So if that team does its job, you'll never hear about these plants. You'll never have to deal with the impacts like we have with fireweed or fountain grass or myconia or some of these really, you know, albizia is, is one of our, in the east side, one of our worst invasive plants, but not having to deal with those plants in the future. So we're trying to catch those plants that are out there that in 50 years could be the next albizia, the next myconia, and catch them now while it's still possible to get a handle on them. So that's just one of our teams. We also have a crew that works on rapid ohia death. We do all the training around the state on managing rapid ohia death, and we're looking to minimize rapid ohia death that's in new areas where it's not fully taken over the area yet. So when rapid ohia death pops up in a new place on this island, we have a crew that goes out and manages that. There could be tree felling, there could be insecticides used. There's a lot of different ways that we're trying to manage rapid ohia death. We also have my team. We do outreach and education. So we work with students and teachers to get them to really value the native forest and, and value the things that are special about the Aina here. And then we also teach communities to do with. Unfortunately, we have a lot of, as you mentioned, little fire ants and some other things. We have a lot of invasive species that are in our communities and that plague people daily. So we really want to get the information that our residents need to try and go after those invasive species themselves. I want to start in asking you about cokey frogs. Now, I feel like the concept of the cokey frog and eradication has been abandoned in some parts of the island, like East Hawaii. But there's still parts of the island where cokey frogs have not gotten a foothold and people want to get rid of them. So talk about cokey frogs, because I feel like there is actually no effort on the part of the state or the county to address cokies. Yeah, this is one of the challenges on the Big Island. It tends to be that we get an introduction of an invasive species before anybody else. And and one of the things that happens is when something new comes in, if you're not prepared, if you're not ready, um, there's a there's a window of time. And so when, when we have a new species like little fire ants or like cokey frogs show up on the big island first, or any island really, whoever's the first island to get something, just happens to be us quite often, um, there isn't a team ready to take that on. There isn't funding that's available to get the resources. In the cases of Little Fire Ant, Cass was brought in, right, from from abroad to become the person to develop methods for treating Little Fire Ants on the Big Island. We didn't have a ready-to-go method. And so, unfortunately, because these things pop up and there is no emergency fund. We've gone to the legislature several times over the last uh, few years asking for an emergency response fund that it's almost like a natural disaster fund. Money is set aside. Something new pops up. We're able to mobilize people. We're able to mobilize resources. We don't have anything like that in Hawaii. So when something comes in, there's a lag time while we build a response, which can unfortunately, allow time for a species to get out of control. And you saw that happen with Koki, and you saw that happen with little fire ants. Hopefully it won't happen with some of these other new pests that we have, but it is really a scary situation. And yes, currently there isn't any effort on behalf of the state to 
control cokey frogs on the big island. There is on Oahu, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. Of course, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's where the state will put their resources. So they're really focusing their resources on where they think um, they will see the most bang for their buck, right? And so it would take a lot of money, money that the state does not maybe have available or be willing to spend in order to control cokey frog here. But on some of the other islands, it's a lot you know, exponentially smaller amount of money. And so they're still comfortable spending that amount of money. Now, whether that continues for years and years into the future, I don't know. There may come a time where they decide to write off other islands too. So we'll see. Okay. Well, so for cokey frogs, for those neighborhoods that still are not overrun with cokey frogs, what do people do? And can they get support or is it just up to them? It really is. And this is something we think generally with invasive species that we've started to position ourselves as much as possible to try and support people in education and training to be empowered to take care of this in their own communities. With cokey frogs, we see a lot of folks still neighborhoods banding together. I know in North Kohala they have a really robust program. Just recently, Waimea, we got we were contacted by folks who want to restart their cokey control program, which was very successful for many years. Um, Volcano has recently started talking about, you know, can we get back to this? So I I have been hearing from multiple communities around the Big Island that they do want to do something about cokey frog, and. The county still offers, and I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but the county still offers a citric voucher program where you can get a lot of citric acid for a reduced price. And there are still sprayers throughout the island that the county had loaned out years ago. Um, We are happy to help connect people with those who have those sprayers if they're interested in getting their neighborhood together. It's a 400-gallon sprayer, so it's not for your backyard. But if your neighborhood wanted to spray for cokey frog and was willing to put the time and effort in, um, those things are still available via some resources that the county had made available. Specifically, what do people do to get rid of cokey frogs? What has proven effective? (laughs) Oh, good. Yeah. So citric acid, as I mentioned, that's the... That's the only approved substance that can be used as a pesticide to control cokey frogs. And, and it's to, something you spray on, it's a liquid. You mix it with water. Yeah, you mix it with water. Citric acid is vitamin C, right? So it's, you know, you have orange juice or, you know, you have that acidic taste. It's that kind of stuff. And cokey frogs are amphibians. So amphibians have very thin skin. They need to stay moist. So they'll absorb things through their skin. And citric acid, it has to come into contact with the frog. You can't throw citric acid out there one day and think it's not a pesticide that's going to be a residual that if the cokey frog walks through later, it's fine. It kind of got to come into contact with it while it's wet. So I'm using a spray bottle. If you only have a couple in your yard, you can put some citric acid in a little spray bottle and go out there at night, you know, when they start to call after dusk and just find that frog and hit it with a spray of citric acid. So you said citric acid is the only thing that's, quote, approved. But what about, as we all know, people use baking soda and they use hydrated lime, both of which are powdery substances. What's the problem with using them? So when you use a product of any kind as a pesticide, it is then regulated as a pesticide. No matter what it's used for in other areas, once you're using it to control a pest, it's considered a pesticide. And that is regulated through the Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA has not approved any other substance to be used for the application of controlling cokey frogs. So citric acid is the only approved substance. Well, I'm using hydrated lime, so is somebody going to come arrest me? <laughs> you, you probably shouldn't say that. 
but you know, hydrated you. lime is a soil amendment, and it's used around plants. In fact, right. it's used so, for pineapple and all kinds of so things. You're so you're just using it for plants, right? You're not using it to control oh. an insect because it's not a pesticide. If you're using it for your plants, it becomes a pesticide. If you're using it to control an uh, like animal. a cookie frog, so yeah. So basically, what my story is. I'm using it on my, okay, soil. And <laughs> if anyone asks, you're using it as a soil amendment. But seriously, nobody would ask, would they? Sure. The Hawaii Department of Agriculture is the regulatory authority on pesticides, and they have active pesticide regulators who have a vested interest, and for good reason, right? The misuse of pesticides is a serious issue, and it's something that everyone is concerned about. You know, recently the county council is, is considering a bill to ban the use of herbicides, on roadsides, which, you know, we don't necessarily see that as a good idea. But I think when you have misuse, unfortunately, the pendulum swings where if, if you're in this area of abusing things and not using something correctly, it's going to swing to let's ban rather than let's go to the middle and find out like what is a way to use this tool that's measured and accurate and has, you know, the best output for the least amount of harm. And we try to encourage people to use pesticides correctly so that we don't end up with that pendulum swing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's not send the Department of Agriculture to my yard, <laughs> please. Okay. Let's get to something that I know you're really excited about, and that's the Queensland longhorn beetle. Franny was kind enough to bring <laughs> some Queensland longhorn beetles into the studio. Thank goodness they are dead. If you look at the KWXX or B97, B93 Facebook page, you will see Franny with these bugs, so you know what they look like. And you can also find them on the website of the Big Island Invasive Species Committee. Tell us about the Queensland longhorn beetle. This beetle is actually native to the Queensland area of Australia. It didn't have a common name. It doesn't have a formal common name because it's just a forest insect, just amongst many thousands of forest insects in Queensland. And so it didn't have really any kind of reputation or history outside of Australia. And a few years ago, it showed up in Pune. It is a wood-boring insect. And so the adults, which are pretty striking, they're about the size of a B-52, but darker and with very, very long antenna. And when you say they're about the size of a B-52, I'm assuming you're talking about a cockroach. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Our, our famous... Uh, Giant ones. Yeah, palmetto bugs. And they also make a unique hissing sound, which I don't, I don't know if I want to do that for your listeners because it might sound strange on the radio, but they hiss. Is it so, loud enough that I could hear it? Yes, it is loud enough that you could hear it. So it's something that people are noticing. It's attracted to light, so people are finding it at night. But the adult is not the problem. The problem is that the adults will lay their eggs under the bark of trees, and the larva will then eat channels and tunnels throughout the vascular system of the tree. We've seen many trees die. So it causes severe damage and potentially death. And so we, we first found out about this beetle from the cacao farmers. The East Hawaii Cacao Association came to us and said, you know, we're really worried about this because a lot of cacao trees are going down. And um, at Hawaii Department of Agriculture in Hilo, um, Stacey Chun over there was actually giving these insects different kinds of wood to see what they would go for. And then we were also going out and answering calls and reports from people who say, hey, something's wrong with my tree and it's showing these signs. And what we found is that they will, um, they love kukui. 
and so they'll burrow into kukui, and so they're very bad to have. And we have a lot of beautiful kukui uh, around, um, but also citrus and breadfruit, which are two important food trees that lots of people have in their backyard. And, you know, we have the Ulu Co-op now, which is doing great work and wants to... I learned at the Food Summit, they want to move production of ulu from 100,000 pounds a year, which we have right now, in 10 years to a million pounds of ulu. And they're really doing an amazing job of figuring out how to get that to the public. And then we have this insect come in that attacks ulu trees. So we're we're very concerned that, that you know, we keep getting these pests that are a threat to our food security. And as we, we try to become more food secure, we're being chased, you know, so every game that we're making, it's like, okay. Hey, there's something nipping at our heels, and we don't know how uh, bad this could be. We don't know what the impact is going to be of this in, in, of this insect, but we do have a lot of homeowners right now concerned about their trees. And just a short break to remind you, this is Island Conversations. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bracken. Today we're talking with Franny Brewer of the Big Island Invasive Species Committee about a number of invasive species. And just a reminder, too, that you can go back and listen to a previous broadcast with Franny and Cass Vanderwood of the Hawaii Ant Lab about little fire ants, which is another huge problem on the island. Go to wherever you get podcasts and look for Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken or go to kwxx.com or b97hawaii.com. Next week, we're going to hear about an organization that is really instrumental to the Big Island, the Hawaii Island Food Basket, which feeds so many of our neighbors and about a fundraiser they have between February 12 and 21 where you can help. Let's take a moment and hear from our sponsor, KTA Superstores, which is also involved in the upcoming Food Basket fundraiser. At KTA, local and fresh means you get the very best Hawaii Island has to offer. The grass-fed meats you find at KTA are raised without added hormones or antibiotics. Our seafood department is stocked with sustainable choices caught in local waters by local fishermen. KTA carries the largest selection of Hawaii Island homegrown produce. Our mountain apple brand is all local, so you know it's fresh and delicious. Local and fresh always tastes best at KTA. How do we get rid of the Queensland longhorn beetle? How do you address it if you find one in your backyard? Right now, we're still asking people to turn them in. So those beetles that I showed you that are in the picture, only one of those is the Queensland longhorn beetle, the oh. very, very big one. The other three are some other longhorns that are pretty common, and people are just starting to notice now that we have longhorns. But those beetles, people are turning in. So we're asking people to turn them in. We are working with USDA, the Agricultural Research Service in Hilo, and they are doing some tests and trying to come up with pheromones and traps that could be used to attract the insect because we don't have any records of it outside of Hawaii and Australia. That's it. And it's not a pest in Australia. So it's something new. Why is it not a pest in Australia? Is it not eating their trees? Um, no. <laughs> oh, no. wow. Yeah, so it's it's unusual in that we don't really know why. We don't know why it got to Hawaii and is a pest here, but that's not the first time that that's happened. So... Yeah, right now, the only thing that you can do is capture it and bring it to us or squish it. If you see it, go ahead. Don't feel bad about hitting it with a magazine because there's not much you can do once it's in the tree. Once that larva is in the tree, there is no insecticide. There is no treatment that we have right now or that's known for this. So preventing that adult from mating and laying eggs is probably your best bet. Okay. Very depressing to hear that there's no treatment. So what about the two-lined spittlebug? That's another one on the Big Island Invasive Species Committee website. 
Yeah, so that's another one that we don't currently have a treatment for. And again, like I said, this is part of the problem is that without um, having a pool of resources to dip into, you're taking people who are already working on a lot of different issues and saying, we need you to work on this now. And so right now that project is under the extension service at UH. The range extension folks are addressing this because it is a huge threat to our pastures. So two-line spittlebug is a very teeny tiny insect. People have probably seen spittlebugs before. It looks like someone spit into the grass and you'll see this sort of white bubble. These guys, their spittle masses are much lower. They're down to the soil level. They're at the bottom, not sort of up high on the grass. So while that little nymph is inside that spittle mass, it's it's growing and it's weakening the grass. But in this case, it's the adults that are the real problem. When the adults emerge and they're very tiny, the size of your fingernail, you know, maybe a little bigger, um, I've got those two bright yellow stripes on the back, black little black bug, and they will suck all the nutrients from the grass. And so what we're seeing is that these bugs have really gotten excited about pangola and kikuyu grass, which are the main pasture grasses for our cattle industry here. And, you know, the, the cattle industry has had to deal with pests before. There's certainly been other things like armyworm and such that have come through and, and attacked different grasses. But the difference with the two-line spittle bug is that we're not seeing pasture recovery. So after the bug infests the pasture, the grass completely dies. And that is something that we haven't seen before. So this is of great concern because this is an industry worth $40 million annually in the state of Hawaii. Um, you know, grass-fed beef, it's our value-added product. It's, again, food security. And there's the ranching culture of the Big Island, the Paniolo culture, which has been so important, you know, for so many families here. Now we have something that has come in in 2016 when it was discovered it had impacted 2,000 acres of pasture and as of this summer they found over 150,000 acres of pasture that have just been more or less destroyed and so this is something that's of great concern to us. And that's all here on this island? That's all here on this 150, island. 150,000 acres of pasture so mm -hmm. where? Everywhere or certain areas? So it started in South Kona and it is now as far north as Pu'uvava. Wow. So, yeah. So what do people do I mean is there any treatment for it or do they just have to kind of replant their entire pasture which sounds impossible exactly um, there is no treatment for it right now we're looking to the researchers on the mainland this is a known turf pest on the mainland it's considered a pretty stubborn terrible pest there so we're looking towards sort of some of the things that have been used there but again you run into this you know even if you have a pesticide that is useful 150,000 acres that's just not something you're going to be able to apply a pesticide and we don't have anything licensed for that use in Hawaii, so runs into a lot of red tape and issues, and we don't even know if it'll work. We don't even know if there's a product that will work here in Hawaii. So right now, what we're asking people to do is not transport it. And it's kind of funny because I was just talking to Bill Buckley, who's the head of our Rapidohia death early detection team, and he said they were at a ranch in Kona, and the spittlebugs were everywhere. 
they were taking samples of ohia trees. And so you hit the tree with a hatchet and you kind of take some of the wood out to get a sample. And he said the insects were jumping into the sample bags. They were, they were just all over the place, everywhere. And they were all over the truck. And he said it was really hard. They had to keep stopping and brushing them off the truck because they don't want to transport them across the island. And so we're trying to do a lot of outreach to the ranchers to make them aware, too, of being careful when they're moving. Just a simple thing is parking your truck in a field and leaving the windows open. You know, insects can get in and then be transported. Right now, the best we can do is try to prevent it from moving further, but it is going to continue to move on its own as well. So it's going to be a big challenge. But there's nothing that people can spray on it. If you find it on your lawn, there are some insecticides that are approved to be used, so Tulsar or something like that, that you can that a homeowner can use on their lawn that you could use in a little patch of grass. It's not something that can be spread through thousands of acres. So is this two-line spittlebug actually affecting lawns at houses? Yeah, yeah. so wow. we got reports from Kona Palisades of this insect. We've had... Uh, someone report the insect in his house. He actually sent me pictures of the insect on his bedroom wall. We've also had reports of it at a school and in homeowners' lawns, the spittle itself. So, yeah, it's as low as probably a thousand feet that we know of right now, and then as high as about six thousand. So it's got a wide range. Very unfortunate. You're just a little ray of sunshine. <laughs> That's what people tell me. I know. That's why nobody wants to go hiking with me anymore. <laughs> okay, Franny Brewer, what are the other things that you are most concerned about? Well, I hope after hearing sort of these dire predictions that most people will be as concerned as I am about Hawaii's biosecurity. People who've been to New Zealand or South Africa or some of these other countries that have really strong biosecurity always sort of marvel at getting off the plane, the rigmarole you have to go through, the inspections, you know, how tightly they control how things are coming in. And that's just on the individual level. It's very tightly restricted. And you're talking about here or other places? In other places. Right. Yeah. And so most people will notice that here, you know, you sort of fill out a form and you can say something or not say something and no one ever really follows up with you, which is, you know, not not that we think that tourists coming in or people coming in are really our biggest source. But when you're thinking about biosecurity compared to a country that's sort of monitoring everything that's coming in, even down to the footwear that someone walking off the plane is wearing, you can extrapolate that to understand that when they're importing things, they're extremely careful about what they import. Here in Hawaii, our Department of Agriculture, which is responsible for that border security, all the goods that are coming in, they get less than a half a percent of our state budget. So about 0.4% of our state budget goes to the entire Department of Agriculture for all of the programs, promoting local foods, helping farmers, you know, all of the programs. And that piece of it, border inspections, as of last year, there were only about 80 inspectors statewide for all planes, all ships, all cargo coming into Hawaii. So 80 people, 24-7, 365 days a year. It's not enough to be able to do an effective job. And so less than 2% of all cargo that comes into Hawaii is actually inspected. And we think that that's a, a huge problem because um, things are sneaking in. <laughs> and it. As global traffic increases, 
around the world, you're seeing a rise in the movement of invasive species. So not just Hawaii, but around the world, more invasive species moving and they're moving faster. And we are right at the heart of this problem. And so we're very vulnerable. There is a proposed biosecurity plan that the state put out in 2017. Some of those pieces have been implemented, but even in talks with the folks at the state who are responsible for this, the items that are next on the list are more big ticket items. And there needs to be a lot of will on the behalf of the legislature. And so what I would hope is that what people take away from this interview is letting their legislators know that this is important. We need this to stop. This is threatening every aspect of our economy, our environment, and our health and way of life. And so we cannot continue to be this vulnerable and this much at risk to the many things that are moving around. We still don't have a lot of really bad invasives that are out there, which is surprising considering how much we do have, but we don't want them. (laughs) And we really need to do a lot of work to improve what we're doing. And the state has taken some small steps and the plan is a big step if it gets implemented, but we need pressure on our legislators and our decision makers to actually put the money where the mouth is and and fund those things that are in the plan and put that money and say, we're committed to this. And it's difficult because on the big island, I think we have legislators that are very involved and aware of these issues. But when you get to Oahu, um, they're not impacted the way that we are here. And so they don't have the same level of concern. And it sort of seems like something they can put off. You know, they got to worry about rail. They got to worry about housing. They got to worry about the homeless. Like these are, these are real issues. This is not, you know, uh, uh, facetious, but um, when that's in your district and that's what people are coming to you and complaining to you about, it's really hard for you to care about a bug over there on the big island, right? So I understand that, but I also think that it's, it's short-sighted if we don't continue to look at this as a, as a statewide problem. It really has to be looked at as a statewide problem. And the legislators on Oahu live more in an urban environment. We on the Big Island are more in a rural environment where we have pasture land and where we have these big open Mm -hmm. spaces that we'd like to keep as big open spaces. Yeah, it's different. And so it it doesn't reach the same level of impact or urgency with folks over there. And so I think that that's been something that's hampered efforts to try and improve our biosecurity in Hawaii. Franny Brewer, where can people learn more? Our website, BIISC.org. That's where we have all our information. You can also call us. Our phone number is 808-933-3340. And we are the Big Island Invasive Species Committee. So although we are located in Hilo, we actually work all over the Big Island. We also have Facebook and Instagram. So if you're into social media, please like us and follow us. Very good. Franny Brewer, thank you so much. And I do recommend, by the way, that people go to the Big Island Invasive Species Committee website because it's very informative and you can get great photos of all these invasive species. Franny, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Sherry, for talking about this topic. All right. Aloha. Aloha. And a huge mahalo to our audience for being with us. This is Island Conversations. I'm Sherry Bracken. Until next time, please, let's all live and drive with aloha. Ahui ho. Thank you for listening to Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken, available anytime at kwxx.com. We welcome your feedback and suggestions at info at kwxx.com. 
Join us next week for another Island Conversations with Sherry Bracken. Brought to you by KTA Superstores, where you're someone special every day since 1916.